Okay, I think we're about ready to begin. Uh, Revelation chapter 22 is where we're studying. And we want to read this chapter and we want to think carefully about what's said because this is the last revelation from heaven that there will ever be. Uh, So that's the point of the final words of this chapter. There is no further prophecy uh, concerning the future beyond this right here. So this is what's important. Let's read beginning at verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, And they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, 
and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, this is the the passage. It's uh, ultimately the fulfillment of the will of God who created the worlds. As I have mentioned to you before, Uh, we begin to see the will of God in the beginning of the revelation from heaven, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after he completed the work, after he finished it and rested on the seventh day, um, he pronounced how pleased he was with what he had done. It was very good. Very good. And God never intended death. He never intended for man to think independent from him uh, in a way that would uh, conflict with his, his um, revelation of truth, his revelation of right and wrong, because there is not but one truth and there isn't but one definition of what is right and what is wrong and so when the fall took place there was this uh, um, independence declared it has been stated in this church that was the declaration of independence that destroyed the world is when we separated ourselves from from God and began to think on our own without Him and do on our own without Him. According to our way of thinking and our way of doing as we would like for it to be. And so God never intended that. So He never intended death. 
He never intended for us to be separate from him, but to be one with him as we see illustrated in the symbolism of marriage. And so when we come to the final chapter, uh, we see the infinite wisdom of God and his power to have his will done because he and he alone in the universe is able to have an expected end. If, if, if we did not have the book of the Revelation, uh, we would not know that. Um, as well as we do when we read what it has to say and enter into the meaning of it. Uh, nothing can get in the way of the will of God. Nothing. And so uh, he's going to have his perfect world. His perfect world. Without sin or anything, anything that might corrupt it or defile it. And this is exactly the final picture that we have. We see that the whole Bible is designed to reverse the folly of independent thinking so that we eventually with our own free will acknowledge the problem of independence from God which results in us uh, being willing and choosing to die to everything that we are. To run to Christ to receive his life that he offers us with a free gift. And so the whole Bible is designed to reverse what happened in the Garden of Eden. And this is exactly what we're reading about here. And um, I don't see how any rational mind could want anything different or uh, think within themselves that they could have an idea that would be better than what we're reading right here. And so we want to go to the passage. By the way, the title of this message today is The Face of God. The Face of God. Uh, basing it on what is said in verse 4, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes, but this is the title that I, I thought I would give this message today. But in the first two verses we read, and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal that's how it was in the first creation uh, in the garden of Eden there was a river it was a river of water of life and anyone who knows the simplest things about biology uh, true science has been taught that the one thing that you have to have to have life is water. And so those two things are inseparable. The water of life. 
We have scientists that uh, are sending up spaceships to investigate uh, the planets that are within range of reaching and they're looking for water. And I'm sure you've read articles about this, how that they are looking for water because without water there is no life. There is no life. So when God created the physical world, it was to educate us in such a way about Him as a person that we would understand through the symbolism of creation more about Him. And so Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says that God's purpose in creating this symbolic multiverse, or we call it universe, without end, if a person will study it, they will actually be able to see the invisible God. Because the invisible things of Him are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. And so the symbolism in creation is so evidential. It's so clearly revealed in terms of his works. You can actually see the Godhead that's amazing when you think about it. We have no problem when we see maybe a painting. Well, we've got one right here behind us. Um, the first thing that might come to somebody's mind when they see uh, a beautiful painting uh, is the question, uh, who painted that? Who painted that? I mean, this is not a, a, a beginning in and of itself. Uh, somebody had to paint that. The very fact that you see a painting presupposes an artist, an artist. And, and that's the way creation is. That's the way God has designed creation. If you're walking through a jungle... Uh, because maybe you've been uh, uh, <clears throat> a victim of shipwreck or something like that and you wash up on the shore of some Pacific island and uh, um, you have no idea really where you are and so all alone you start walking through this jungle to see what you can see and all of a sudden, after an hour or so, you, you come up on this uh, little shed where certain kinds of small trees have been cut down and, and put together and tied together. And um, you look at it and the first thought that's going to come to your mind is uh, somebody did that. There, there's 
some other form of life, there is a person on this island because a monkey wouldn't do that. An ape would not do that. This is, this is a human. This is human intelligence. And so you, you look at certain things and you realize that there has to be an artist, there has to be an architect to have certain things. And common sense uh, very quickly arrives at that conclusion. And that's the way creation is. And so here in the chapter, as we begin the chapter, it tells us, and he showed me a pure river of water of life. And it's God's symbolism concerning himself and his word. That's what it is in Scripture, his word. Um, there's a number of passages that we can turn to, but I don't want to bog us down with a lot of turning and different things. But I would like to just draw your attention to John's Gospel, chapter 4. If you'll turn there with me, I'll show you a passage that's, uh, I think, illustrates something of what we're looking at here. Many would be familiar with this passage because it's where the Lord uh, meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, in verse 7 of John chapter 4, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then says the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink? Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Living water. Well, without going into a deep study of this chapter, um, if... Um, if you look over at verse 25, um, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He identified himself straight up. He identified himself to this woman as 
the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The one who can uh, speak and provide words of life, everlasting life. And um, she, um, she realizes this uh, uniqueness in this personality that she has met there. She didn't know who he was. He was God. And he reveals himself as such to her. And the way we know that is verse 29. Um, well, let's read verse 28 with it because it puts it together in a way that makes it uh, more powerful. The woman then left her water pot, in verse 28, and went her way into the city and saith to the men... Now, it's important to notice who these men are. This, this woman was essentially a harlot. She had had five husbands. So, uh, she was very, I guess, popular in the city as a, no doubt, a very, very attractive woman. The kind of woman that's exceptionally beautiful that turns heads but she meets the Lord and comes to realize who he is and I believe her life is radically changed because of that encounter and here's what she says verse 29 come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Now think about it. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Now have you ever met anybody that could do that? I'm not that important that somebody would know that much about me. But here's a woman that met a man that day at that well that looked into her mind and heart and read her like a book and proved to her that he knew everything about her. And there was nothing hidden that he didn't know. Well, when people are living in sin, uh, they usually live in the dark. And a lot of the things they do are behind closed doors and uh, the world just doesn't see that side of a person's life. But Jesus Christ made it very clear to this woman that he knew everything that there was to know about her. And so she asked this question, Is not this the Christ? Is not this the Christ? Well, a person that had any understanding at all about the Bible 
the scriptures would know that the answer to that question right there is God Himself. When John the Baptist announced, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the Pharisees knew enough about that and that title, that name, to make the statement, Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one but God could be this person. And this woman has come to understand that. But the thing I want to draw your attention back to after this little uh, insight in this chapter is what he said to her initially, if thou knewest the gift of God, and it's a gift, it's not a works, it's a gift. And who it is that saith to thee, in verse 10, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Living water. You know, we're living in a world where uh, people say many things. They say many things. But the Bible says concerning all men that all men are liars. And when people talk to you and they say things to you, you don't know whether they're even telling the truth about themselves or not because everybody likes to present themselves in what they believe to be an acceptable manner. And so, as we saw the other week in a, a lesson taught here, uh, we all live on the stage of life as actors uh, portraying the image we want people to see of us. And this woman was that way. All of us are. But the words and the testimony of other people is not pure. It's not pure. Uh, they may be telling you the truth or they may be lying to you. Um, we have deceptive hearts and we are not only deceived ourselves, we deceive other people and we're good at it. But what we learn in verse 1 is that John is shown a pure river of water of life. There's no corruption in it. There's no contamination in it. It's absolutely pure. And you can believe it. You can believe it. This testimony is faithful and true. That's what this passage teaches. That this testimony from heaven is faithful and it's true. And so, <clears throat> the thing that the Lord is showing us here are things that we are to a great extent uh, familiar with. And that is the importance of water for life. 
And it's all over the scriptures that this is what it symbolizes. It symbolizes life. But God is using it to symbolize His words. Well, we read in verse 2, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Well, a person might read that and wonder why you would need healing in that perfect world that is to come. Well, we had the same thing in the first creation. God created uh, a garden with the kind of food that everything that lived would need to live. You have to eat, you have to drink to live. And in the first creation, it was there. And if you ate those things, and everything was created knowing in advance the food that would be good to eat. Uh, the Lord told Adam, there but one thing you're not to eat, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But everything else you can freely eat. You can eat it. Well, as long as you did that, you would never get sick. You'd live forever. I mean, we need to understand this. God did not create Adam and Eve to die. This was not in the, uh, the thought of God at all. The thing that was in the mind of God was for Adam and Eve to live forever. So the thought of dying was not in his mind at all. And as long as they did what God said to do, they would be healthy forever and never die. And so we should not allow this uh, statement here in Revelation 22 and verse 2 where it says, the leaves of this tree... Um, are for the healing of the nations. Because in the world to come, in this new heaven and new earth, it will still be true that as long as we do and participate in what God is doing, uh, the result is everlasting life. But one of the things that is going to be different in heaven as compared to now is the fact that on this side of death, on this side of the river of, of death, what you might say, we have used our free will to choose to be like Him. And so God is not turning us into robots. We use our own free will to say, we want to die to our mind. We want to die to our way. We believe what you have said concerning 
a life that goes that way and we want no part of it, we despise it, we hate it. We hate our life. We want your life to be our life. We want to be like the Lord Jesus who prayed to the Father, not my will but thine be done. And, um, and when a person does that, they're always going to choose to eat of the fruit that is born from this tree. And there will be no repetition forever or even the slightest possibility of it. Because in this new heaven and new earth, it will be as impossible to sin against God as it was for Jesus Christ to sin against God. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 and I'll show you the, the verse to support this. First uh, John um, chapter 3 and verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him now you have to slow down and think about every statement to understand what's being said here a person that's born of God has the seed of God in them well, you learn in the book of Galatians what that seed is. It's not seeds as of many, but as of one and of thy seed, which is Christ. And so a person that is born of God has the life of God in them. In them. The life of Jesus Christ in them. And he cannot sin. That's what it says. A person that is born of God cannot sin. Why? Because the life that's in him is the life of Jesus Christ. And he cannot sin. Why can he not sin? Well, I can tell you this. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have a free will just like we do. A free will is a free will. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are not robots that have no choice in what they do. It's very obvious that Jesus Christ had a choice in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, if, this, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's free will. This is God's revelation of himself. Free will is the essence of what it means to be a person. Folks, if, you, if we didn't have a free will sitting here in this room, we would not be a human. We would be a robot. But we're created in the image of God with a free will because he has a free will. 
and so does the Holy Spirit. God the Father has a free will and with it He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave His only begotten Son. It was a great sacrifice. I mean, think about it. The pain of the death of Jesus Christ, the only begotten loved Son of the Father. And He was willing to give His only Son for some mysterious reason that no human could ever understand. To die for hell-deserving sinners. That doesn't even make sense. Not to us. It doesn't make sense. But it's God's way of showing us how much the Father loves you and me. How do you understand such things? I, I have no idea how to understand it. But I believe it. I sure do. That God the Father loved me so much that He would allow His only begotten Son to die in my place. A hell-deserving sinner that deserved death. And the only condition would be that I would acknowledge what I am and why he was dying. Because I deserve to be the one dying. But that he would give me as a free gift. He knew I couldn't change myself. There's not a man alive that can change their condition to be like God, holy, unblameable and unreprovable. There's not anyone that can do that. To go to heaven you have to be perfect. Absolutely perfect. You have to be holy, unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. There's not a man alive that can do that. And so the only way that a person can be saved is for a person to realize that that's true and that's the condition and we're just damned. There's no hope. There's no hope. But the message of the Father is if you receive my Son as my gift to you, I will give you everlasting life without works. Because you could never, apart from the gift of God, go to heaven. Never. And so we see the love of the Father. But we also see the love of the Son. But the Father had to be willing to give the Son, and the Son had to be willing to do what the Father wanted Him to do. And so He made a choice with his own free will in the Garden of Eden. 
if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Why did he say that? Because in being made a sin, this innocent one who knew no sin knew that he would be separated from the love of his life, which was the Father. He didn't want to go through that. I mean, this was the most horrible thing that the Son of God ever experienced was to be separated from the light of the world into outer darkness in our place. But he was willing to do it. And so he said, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God the Father wrote impossibility over that request. It's impossible. It's impossible. There's only one way that those people that I love can be saved. Only one way. And that's for you to die in their place. And Jesus Christ, with His own free will, said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Holy Spirit manifests His free will. We'll see it in, I think it's John 14. The free will of the Holy Spirit was, He shall not speak of Himself, but He shall glorify Me. Christ. He chooses not to speak of Himself. Pride speaks of self. The Holy Spirit does not have that sin of pride. And so he makes it very clear that he will not speak of himself so as to draw glory to himself. He refuses to do it. So does the Father, so does the Son, so does the Holy Spirit. Everything that is in each of the persons of the Trinity emanates out from them in the form of a free will gift. A free will gift. And when a person gets saved, that's the mindset that we receive. That's a radical change from the way we are in our nature because I'm telling you, we're proud. We're self-centered as we can be. The Trinity is selfless. Selfless. So anyway, um, I've gotten into a lot of things that I didn't intend to really say this morning, but I, I hope that these things will provide a little better the grasp of some of the things that are being said here and this final revelation from heaven. But this perfect world that God is, has prepared or will prepare for us 
is going to be such that we don't have to worry about repeating what happened in the Garden of Eden because it will be impossible. It will be as impossible as Jesus Christ in a self-centered, selfish way <coughs> saying to the Father, uh, I, I think i got a better way than yours. Ain't going to happen. And as it says in 1 John, when a person is truly born again, because of the seed that God gives us to live in us, which is Jesus Christ, we cannot sin because we're born of God. That's what that verse means. And so in that eternal city, in verse 2 of Revelation 22, we see this tree of life, and it's for the healing of the nations, but no one will ever eat for all eternity to come anything but that which is good for life, eternal life. And so for the healing of the nations does not presuppose some kind of possibility of sickness in that eternal world. It just shows us once again that the Bible is written in such a way that apart from oneness, you got a problem. There can be no independence from truth because the truth is what it is. It's singular. And there's not a separate definition. There's not a separate way of thinking. And we're not going to think in a separate way from the Father. But we'll not be robots because we choose to be that way for all eternity to come. Because we have learned from God's Word how to have the good sense to want to have His mind as our mind, to have His will as our will, to have His way as our way, and no other way. Because there isn't another way. In verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Serving the Lord is not going to be a labor, it'll never involve sweat, we'll never get tired. It'll be something that will be the greatest joy in our life. Because this is the way He is. It's a blessing to read John's Gospel, chapter 13, where the Lord washes the feet of the disciples. He girded Himself with a towel and got down on His knees and washed their feet. 
sure did. Like a shirt, like a slave. But that's the way he is. That's the kind of humility that God has. He's not like we are. He's not proud. He just is what he is. And he's humble in every way. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And that's the way he is. And that's the way he's going to be when we see it. Jesus Christ is not a proud person. He's very humble. He's very lowly. He's very meek. Meekness, if you look that word up, it carries the idea of someone that has the attitude, I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. And that's what meekness is. God does not need anything. He doesn't need anything because He is God. And so everything that we know about God is outgoing. It's, it's the virtues in God just emanate out in service. It's His desire. That's the way He is. He loves to give. He loves to give. He loves that Word. He loves to give. We ought to be the same way. Love to give. She just love to give. It's a reversal of getting. We ought to love to give. Because that's the way He is. And His servants shall serve Him because we're going to love to give. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. What does that mean? They shall see his face. Well, the human face carries the idea of communion. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody when they wouldn't look at you? I mean, when you have something really important to say to somebody, isn't it uh, important to just look a person right in the eye, right in the eye, to have them look right at you, especially to something that's really important. You want them to look right at you. And you, their eyes are like windows into their soul, and you can tell whether or not a person is really even interested in what you have to say. But if you're talking to somebody and they're looking down like this and looking all around, that's not good communication. God wants a relationship with us that's like that. Can you see how this reverses the problem of the Garden of Eden? looking in his face to see God as he is you know even little babies little, little tiny babies uh, 
that don't have a clue who you are. Many times when somebody comes by here in the church and they've got a little baby in their arms, you'll go up to them and you'll look at them and you'll look them right in the face and their little eyes will just be wide open looking at you. And a lot of times there'll be a little smile on their face. But you can't get that smile out of them if you're turned this way. Or if the, the mother holds the baby down here and they're looking at your, your chest or your stomach. Where's the communion? There is none. But when that baby sees your face, They come alive. Their eyes are big and they're just fixed on you. Just fixed on you. And they smile many times. Unless they're having a, you know, having a bad day. But this is what the Lord is saying here to us. And they shall see His face. And his name. When you see the word name in the Bible, the first thing that should come to your mind is this term, identity. Identity. The whole Bible is about the question, who is God? Where is God? Who is God? Well, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He has an identity and his name is Jesus Christ, that name that is exalted above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we're going to see his face, the face of God. Can you imagine that? Just thinking about it. And we shall see his face. And his name shall be in their forehead. Not as a tattoo. Not some kind of tattooed name. This is God's way of saying we have his mind. We're going to be one with him. A reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. I love to say that, a reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden because that's what the whole Bible is about. It's just God's marvelous gift to us that reverses everything so that we can go back into that perfect world that he originally wanted. Our time is gone. We've got to stop right here. Um, oh me, my word. Somebody want to dismiss us this morning? Anyone? Jim, will you dismiss us? Jim? Yeah. Please. Yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, it becomes evident if you look around at what's going on in the world today that people are thirsting to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In, in the news in the last 10 days, there's been a revival in a place called Ashbury College. And kids from all over, it's 
universities from all over the state and go in there just to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they don't want to leave. Because once you actually are in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you don't want to leave. And it, it, I'm so thankful that we have a place that we can come and we can discuss the Word, your Word, and be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, it's very comforting, and people in the world are so distracted and so concerned and so worried about what's going on, they don't know where to turn. And there is only one place to turn, and that's to you. We thank you so much for allowing us to be here, to come and worship you, and we thank you for having a place such as this to come so we can be in your presence. Thank you, Lord, and, and we just need, we need that presence of the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for allowing that to happen. And I'd like to say in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for everything Thank you, brother.